Book of Daniel, chapter number one. I hope you bookmarked it because I won't tell you the page number this time. You have to look it up. But Daniel, chapter number one. That's in the minor prophet section of your Bible. If you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you've gone too far. You got to back up. If you're at the book of Psalms, keep going. You're going to make it. Daniel is uh, right after Ezekiel. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 1 today. Now, I I set up for you some uh, opportunities to do some study on your own, a little bit of uh, homework, if you will. And I gave you three options last week that you might uh, consider doing one, maybe two, maybe all three of those. But uh, one of them was to read the entire book of Daniel. And... I'm hoping that by the time we're through with this, in about six years, um, we've all had a chance to read through it. But my goal is 75 people. So if you read through the book of Daniel this week, I want to see a hand. Wow. Okay. I got to get a count. I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I got to look up above too, don't I? Okay. Seven. And then me. That was eight. That counts, right? All right, we're up to eight already. We only have 60-some to go. Okay, how about this? Uh, Math is hard sometimes, you know. Um, If you go through the whole book and you name each chapter with one word, anyone start on that? Anyone got something like that yet? You do. Can you share it with us? You don't have to memorize it. Just read it off. Well, number one, you want the chapter? Oh, yes, do it. Last battle. <laughs> okay. Good job. Good job. Anybody else? I don't want to cut you off. That's a fun, fun assignment to do. It's challenging. It was it is challenging. That's good. I highly encourage you to try that. And uh you don't have to memorize it. You can memorize it. I won't oppose it. But um we would love to hear your words. That would be fun. Thank you very much for that. Um, now, I've also encouraged you to memorize five verses out of the book of Daniel. I know one person's working on theirs, and I'm going to call him every day and see how he's doing. All right? But anybody have some verses ready to go? You could just do one and then do another one next week. Just add up to five. Okay? That's my other challenge. 
Just five verses out of the book of Daniel. Memorize those, and we would love for you to share that with us. Because this is our way of involving ourselves in the text, thinking about it throughout the week, and also encouraging one another to get more involved too. So I think that's kind of fun. Uh, so we're going into Daniel chapter 1, the first six verses this morning. And uh, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. We are blessed to have it with us today, to not only hold it in our hands, but to read from it, to hide it in our hearts, to learn more about you, be encouraged in passages like this. Uh, there's much for us to gain here. And so, as your children, we just sit at your feet and say, teach us, Lord, teach us again from this passage and challenge our hearts with it. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you have taken the time to have it recorded. Uh, we pray that we'll take the time to listen. We ask you for your work and your help in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to him, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king told Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family of the noble, and of the nobles. Youths in whom there was no impairment, who were good-looking, suitable for instruction in every kind of expertise, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, who had the ability to serve in the king's court. And he ordered Ashpenaz to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king also allotted for them a daily ration, from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and he ordered that they be educated for three years, at the end of which they would enter the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to need your help with this a little bit. Um, so go ahead and, and speak up and let me hear what you have to say. But what, what is it that would contribute to one compromising their faith? What would cause one to compromise their faith? Safety? The threat of death, yes. Peer pressure, what's that? I heard something over here. I heard peer pressure. To advance, okay. Um, temptation. Temptation, yes. I might, lose my stuff. I might lose my stuff. Wow. How many? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. No, no I'm not. I was going to say, how many of us feel that way? Um, Let's start this way. Those are great. And, and I was thinking, you were going to write my outline for me, but a lot of what you just said is my outline in different words. But I think we understand the concept of compromise. Uh, I want to give you a picture of what it looks like. Uh, 
And let's imagine we start with somebody who is a very sound believer. All right? Somebody we're used to seeing. Uh, they're strong in their faith. They're always there. They're always a part of this and that. And, and uh, they have a very strong spiritual constitution about them. All right? Now, I'm saying this mostly from a church-centered view, but you could even go into the Old Testament, and there were people of faith that were strong in their faith. And what's interesting to me, if you start with that kind of an individual who's really strong in their faith, in their spiritual constitution, um, you realize they didn't become mature by accident, did they? They, they have become strong in their spiritual constitution because they've invested in spiritual things. They have given their time to that. Um, that doesn't happen accidentally, like I said. Somebody's invested in it. But more times than not, when compromise starts to set in, even those of the strongest constitution start to lack something. They start to lack something. And that is, they're neglecting spiritual growth. Far too often, we can get prideful when we start to think, we're pretty mature. What else do we need? We can coast a while. We don't need to invest so much anymore. We know so much, right? And so, the neglect of spiritual growth is an interesting uh, situation. It works in... in uh, our Christian faith in the sense that if you stop reading your Bible, your busy days, I know. You have a lot going on, I know. You've had a few disappointments, I know. I know how it is. We, we get to a place where we stop feasting on God's Word. There is no substitute for that. There is no substitute for that. Uh, we stop reading His Word and we stop adapting to its contents. We don't grow because we're not learning. And learning is a lifetime responsibility for every single one of us. But you know what usually is a thing that cuts into our Bible reading time and our desire to grow and all the rest? And I heard the word right over here called temptation. Sin will cut that down in a hurry. It will cut it down in a hurry. When sin becomes more attracted to you than God's Word, you've got a problem. You've got a big problem. It's a rare thing to find anyone with an appetite for God's Word and a desire to continue in sin simultaneously. Guess what usually wins? The sin. Our sin natures pull so hard that way. Our world is designed and bent that way to lead us away from God's Word. Always away. Don't ever expect the world to encourage you to be more spiritual. In Galatians 5, it talks about the fact that either we are walking by the Spirit or we're walking by the flesh. There is no place in between those two. I say it that way because the fact is that the Spirit is not compatible with sin. Never will be. He doesn't compromise with it. He doesn't cooperate with it. And if sin has become a habit, then it's likely that the spiritual compromise is well in operation. It's happening. 
And when your faith becomes weak, you become fearful. You become fearful. And that was also expressed. Fear. Fear. Fear of the opposition. Worldly voices and attractions and actions tend to freeze people with fear. We have movements we read about all the time in the paper. Do they ever bother you? Do they ever scare you to think, what if I'm ever confronted with something like that? And you say, oh, I don't know what I'd do. I do. I just don't know what, what to do there. You see, standing against compromise is an exercise of faith. And our world is compromised to its fullest degree to the issues of sin. And you're living in this world. And the fear of the opposition, it comes on hard. It comes on heavy. That has been the case all the way along. From page after page after page of Scripture, it's hard to trust God when you don't know Him. It's hard to trust God when you're not walking with Him. It's hard to keep going when you're so weak in your faith because you have compromised your time with Him and you're not spiritually growing. You see where it's developing? So what's the next thing? If you have a lack of faith at this moment and you're not walking with the Lord at this moment and sin is dominating you at this moment, do you know what the next thing the compromiser does? He says, maybe it's not a big deal after all. And they become indifferent. The indifference is their way to cover up their lack of faith. They say, it's not important. It's not important. And indifference sets in. I walked you through that a little bit because the ingredients of compromise are found even in the first six verses of what we just read. Some of the things that we are talking about here, picture it like a river current that has just swelled from recent storms and and now poses a threat to one's faith and to one's life. And put yourself like Daniel in the middle of that stream. And it's coming fast and it's coming hard. I introduced you last week to the events that swirl around Daniel and made his uncompromising faith really quite unique in his times. Often we think that living under Nebuchadnezzar would have made Daniel's faith shine. But I suggested to you last week that Daniel was already in the practice of living in an uncompromising faith, even before Nebuchadnezzar came on the scene. He was living under King Jehoiakim. And that's not an easy thing to do. As we started into the early chapters, or verses here of chapter 1, the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, immediately that sets a context for us as a tough place to live by faith. Ask Jeremiah. He recorded well for us what it was like to be under that wicked, wicked king. And this is when the story had taken place. And we've learned a little bit about Jehoiakim, but here's how it sums up. He was an evil man. And he instituted many evil things in his 11-year reign. He was a complete contrast to his father, Josiah. He followed, matter of fact, his forefathers instead into the sins of idolatry, into the sins of greed, into murder, and a host of other sins. We can read about those. But he showed primarily no desire for God's Word, 
No respect for God's Word. No sensitivity to God's Word. Nebuchadnezzar will attack Jerusalem three times. In 605 is his first visit there. That's Daniel chapter number 1. Alright? That's when Nebuchadnezzar came the first time. In 597, which was about eight years later or so, he comes back again. This time he had had enough of Jehoiakim. And he came to replace him on the throne. And he put his son Jehoiachin. Isn't that easy to remember those names? Right? But uh, Jehoiachin was his son. He put him on the throne. That was when Ezekiel was taken captive. And all the priests, basically the priests and skilled laborers were taken captive as well. And then finally in 586, about 11 years later after that, he comes to finish the job. And when he comes this time, he destroys the city of Jerusalem and he destroys the temple. And that's what we read about an awful lot, especially in Lamentations. Very, very sad day that was when Nebuchadnezzar came. Now, what I want to read to you is the reason why. Why this happened. It's recorded in Second Chronicles 36. And honestly, this little passage is going to leave a, a bad taste in your mouth. You're not going to like it. I'm going to start in verse number 8. 2 Chronicles 36, verse 8. This not only is the testimony of Jehoiakim, but it's also Jehoiachin, and it's also Zedekiah, the brother of Jehoiakim. They all three would sit on the throne, and the Lord had something to say about these three men. This was all during the time of Nebuchadnezzar's Attacks on the city. So, Second Chronicles. That's Old Testament. If you're in Corinthians and you find chapter 36, you've got the wrong Bible. Alright, there are no 36 chapters in Corinthians. So that should tell you, go back to the Old Testament to find Chronicles. Second Chronicles 36, 8. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and the abominations which he committed... And what was found against him, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And his son Jehoiachin became king in his place. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned for three months and ten days in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. At the turn of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar sent men and had him brought to Babylon with the valuable articles of the house of the Lord, and he made his relative Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God, and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke for the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear allegiance by God, but he stiffened his neck, hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Furthermore, here's where it gets really sad, all the officials of the priest and the people were very unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they defiled the house of the Lord, which he had sacrificed sanctified in Jerusalem. Yet the Lord, the God of their fathers, 
sent word to them again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and all in his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words. They scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Those are incredible words, aren't they? Incredible words. As a result of that, you read the rest of the chapter. The Lord then smashed his city. He allowed the Babylonians to come in and tear it apart. How easy is it to live godly in a world like that? That was the current of the day. And it wasn't just because they had a bad king, but all of the leadership was marching to that tune. Everybody around Daniel, it appeared, in society, in leadership, was all marching contrary to the things of God. How did they ever get that way? They were supposed to be God's people. They were given the Word, the Law. They were given the Prophets. They were given such incredible leaders like men like David or Josiah or Hezekiah. You start the list of of godly kings that they had. They had these guys like Isaiah. They had their Ezekiels. They had their their, um, Elijahs and Elishas. They had their... I mean, where did that go wrong? They were godly people, right? No. What was the deal? They didn't give themselves to God's Word. Guess what sets in real quick? The compromise. Because they weren't growing anymore. They weren't learning of the Lord anymore. They weren't desiring the things of the Lord. Sin started to become dominant in their lives. It affected their courts. It affected their temples. It affected their worship. It affected their lives. They gambled away their, their things by, by, by all kinds of wicked endeavors. They were cheating people. They were killing people. They were, picture Ahab and what he wanted just because he wanted a vineyard. He went and had people killed for that purpose. On and on and on we find this in the Old Testament. And we always come away saying, oh, that's a hard part of the Bible to read. It's because they are decreasing along that scale. And compromises set in. And then the enemies come along. And since they're not walking with God and they don't really know Him, fear sets into their hearts. And the peer pressure is all around them to continue to sin. And you've got what's on these pages. You've got this. And guess what they thought of God's Word at this point? I don't care. That's why Jehoiakim could sit there with his penknife and cut up Jeremiah's message and throw it into the fire as it's being read to him. That's the world Daniel lived in. So there you have it. Three kings, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, Zedekiah, all with the same spiritual temperature of hatred toward God. They hated his word. They hated his prophets. I just read it to you. Plus, add the leaders and the priests of that day, the spiritual leaders of that day, were saturated with sin. Jehoiakim's power was in making his, his subjects fear him. 
So how do you survive in a society like that? Do it the king's way or he will kill you. It's not an easy thing to be a man of God in a setting like that. So much easier to go with the flow, right? The current's going this way. It sounds safer. Let's just go with it. Let's just float down with it. Uh, a few of your standards you might have to give up just so you can get along with society. It's okay, the world would say. We're like you. We're like you. Come be one of us. And that's where danger starts, doesn't it? Big danger, right there. That's where you lack a strong spiritual constitution. That's where you neglect your spiritual growth. That's where you get involved in sin because it looks more attractive. That's when you fear the opposition and you eventually become indifferent and just float downstream with them. Consider all that and think of the day Daniel was captured. Think of the day Daniel was captured. Here in Daniel chapter 1 verse 2, notice the first three or four words. Your text will read something similar to this. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord handed him over. Gave him over. Along with some of the vessels of the house of God. Brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, Nebuchadnezzar's God. And he brought the vessels into the temp treasury of his God. This is a very interesting act on Nebuchadnezzar's part. It really didn't matter, when you step back and look at this honestly, it really didn't matter how strong Nebuchadnezzar's army was. If God had chosen to defend his people... Nebuchadnezzar would have never won. How many people did, did God actually need fighting for his side to ward off a guy like Nebuchadnezzar and his army? Honestly, nobody. Because God could do it all by himself. Instead, God gave him over. But instead of giving God the credit, as Nebuchadnezzar should have, he instead took the vessels of God, the cups and the bowls and things that you'd find in the temple, and he put them in his own temple, which was a way of saying, my God conquered your God. You see that a lot in the Old Testament, by the way. The Philistines are good at this one, too, with the ark, the whole story of the ark. Oh, our God's better than your God. In the next few chapters, Nebuchadnezzar is going to find out who God really is. I always love that about this book. I, I, I don't know why. I smile through most of this book. Because I see, wow, what a great God we have. There's so many wonderful illustrations of that. But what a blow it had to have been. If you were living back in those days, and if you had maybe a single strand of Judah's religion you were hanging on to, and then suddenly you see that the things of God are carried away, and the God you were supposed to follow was, as far as you know, subjugated to the God of Babylon. If you're lacking spiritual maturity, if you're neglecting spiritual growth, if you're involved in sin and fearful of man and indifferent to it all, guess what you do at this point? 
you jump out of the current of Jehoiakim and jump into the current of Nebuchadnezzar. Because you're always going to follow the flow. That's what compromisers do. At this point in life, all of these youths have that fork in the road right in front of their eyes. Do they stay with the God of Israel or do they follow after the dictates of the Babylonian lifestyle? It was right there. Opportunity to choose. Verse number three. The king told Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom there was no impairment, who were good-looking, suitable for instruction of every kind of expertise, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability to serve in the king's court. And here is the main thing. Listen. And he ordered Alpenaz to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans, indoctrinate them to become Babylonians. Think and reason like a Babylonian. Speak and converse like a Babylonian. How easy would it be for you if somebody took you today into a foreign country and said, now you're going to learn our language and you're going to do it our way. They change your language. They change your thinking. They change your culture. The king even selected their food, we have in verse number 5. The king also allotted for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. There's no reference on Nebuchadnezzar's part, and no doubt he didn't even know that the Mosaic Law Code called for a dietary system they were to live by. You know what it is. Most of you know, right? I mean, what's the biggest thing they shouldn't eat? Everyone says pork. Yes, pork, bacon. How can you live without bacon? But uh, they, 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 they were told, this is what you eat, this is what you don't eat. And there's a list. There's a way to dress in a way you couldn't dress. There's all these different things they were told to do in the law of Moses. But there was a likelihood, because in a foreign culture like Babylon, there was a likelihood that whatever is offered to you to eat has first been sacrificed to the God down the street. That happened a lot, especially in king's courts. They got the best, right? What do you normally offer to your God? The best. And so, with this picture in your mind, they take the food to these new young men brought in from Israel, from Judah, that they might become Babylonians, and they take the food that was their heritage, that was what they were instructed in the law to do, that was part of their fellowship with God, and they offer to them something else. And if you're lacking spiritual maturity, and if you have neglected God's Word, and if you've gotten involved into sin, and you're fearful of man and indifferent now, guess what you start doing? Eating the king's food. You start changing your diet. Maybe you would convince yourself and the others around you that, hey, this turn of events is probably good for us. 
I mean, it shows you how broad-minded we are that we can eat this too now and eat that too now. And so compromise is all over the page. It's all over the page. Sometimes you could blame Nebuchadnezzar for the, the way he's imposed it on them, but think the vast majority of them jumped into the river and walked his way. The vast majority of them followed right through that path. They compromised. Verse 5 continues and says, They were ordered that they be educated for three years. Mark that date. Three years at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. This was not a crash course on Babylonian ways and manners. It was three years of investment in their lives. Three years of constant teaching and shaping of these men. Three years of the diet. Three years of the language. Three years of all of this. Three years also for a man like Daniel to be resolute. You know, standing up for what's right and standing against the current, it can be hard at first and you're pretty confident. But add three years of the constant bombardment, bombardment, bombardment of that culture to change him. Three years, Daniel stood resolute in their faith, in his faith, in his uncompromising obedience to God. For three years we see this. He must have regularly been feeding on God's Word to be that strong. He must have avoided sin to be that strong. He must have trusted God, and he wasn't indifferent to God's ways. And, and in order to endure, to be uncompromising, to even prosper in such a pressure cooker of compromise, that's where Daniel was. Who of all those men taken and trained and marked were called uncompromising in their faith and obedience. Of that whole crowd taken that day, read verse 6. What's our tally? Four men. Four men. If there was a fifth, would God have put their name on there? Probably. Four men. Four men tested. Four men standing in Babylon Four men with the pressures all around them. I look at that and I'm impressed, honestly. I read this and I say, wow, when you put it in its culture and in its context and in its history and in the leadership all around them, I say, wow, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, what kind of men are you? I think I could tell you. They had strong spiritual constitution. They had an appetite for God's Word, and they must have feasted on it. But they might not have had a Bible in their hand. Guess where it would have been hidden? You're going to find out later, Daniel is good with the Word. There's something I, we were doing. We were staying at a place uh, in Guthrie just the other night. So I pull open the drawer of the cabinet next to the bed. Guess what I'm looking for, Anthony? They did it. I said, yes, another one. So I always go and check. I pulled open those drawers. I said, were the Gideons here? Yes. Okay, you could mark that one off the list. But I like that. 
I like that. Many, many, many times we're out there in the world. We're not carrying this book in our hand. It might be on our phone, but generally temptation doesn't give you enough time to say, wait, I want to look that up. Guess where we need to hide these words? In the heart. So I might not sin against thee. I'm going to suppose something, and I think it's a safe supposition. Daniel and these three men had God's word in their hearts already. They had to have been saturated by it if they're going to stand against a current like that. They did not sin. They did not fall for the temptation. They did not compromise. They did not fear. And we're going to find that out real soon. They did not fear. They stood in their faith in the midst of opposition. They stood strong and uncompromising in their day. They did not show indifference. I want to ask you a question. And I want you to take it personal. Yes, on purpose. I want you to take it personal. When we start to read these things in Scripture... Does it inspire you to be like that? Do you read these words and say, boy, I want to be like that? Maybe, maybe on the scale of, of spiritual maturity or reading God's word or involvement in sin or fearful of others or even indifference. You find yourself on that scale somewhere. And you say, Lord, I, I want to be strong in my faith. I want a solid spiritual constitution. I want to be feasting on your word. I don't want to neglect it. I, I, want, I want to stand separate from sin. I don't want to be involved in it. I don't want to be found in that. I don't want to fear opposition because this world has plenty to give. I want to trust my God for this day and the next day to come. I don't want to be indifferent. That's for you personally to consider too. For me to personally consider as well. Because we might be on that scale somewhere. And we might have been letting things slip and we weren't even conscious of it. You know, the, the amazing thing about floating on a, a river current, you don't have to paddle. Just sit there. It would take you down with it every single time. I want to challenge us with these things as we look at the life of Daniel. Thank the Lord I didn't live back then. I'm glad for that. But when I read of this man and what he went through, I think we need more Daniels in our day. And we can be that kind of person. There was nothing about Daniel. He's going to tell you in a little bit. There's nothing about me that makes me special. It's the God I serve. And that's what we should give ourselves to. Not only just reading His Word, but knowing Him. Following Him. Loving Him. Living for Him. Growing in Him. After all, what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life right now is to make you like Christ. Isn't that true? Let's not be indifferent people. Let's not walk down that slide. Let's not compromise. Heavenly Father, You know every single heart in this room where we stand with You. Whether or not we've been spending time in Your Word, whether or not we've been adapting Your Word to our, to our lives, 
to our thinking, to our plans. Lord, you know whether or not uh, sin has become attractive to us and we have neglected the things of God because we've turned to the things of the flesh. Lord, if there's somebody here this morning who knows that too well, they, they're burning in it right now, show them, Lord, they could turn to you at this very moment. You call on us to repent from sin and to turn our ways to the Lord. And, and right now, if there's a believer who needs to do that, Lord, prick their heart. Leave them, leave them uncomfortable until they make that right with you. And Lord, if there's a brother or sister, we can help. They ask us, let us jump in and help them. There's those in need. Lord, we don't want to be the compromiser. We don't want to follow the flow of this world because we fear it. Because we fear of what they can do or what they could take from us. We know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. We don't want to be indifferent, Lord, to these callous, to these things, Lord. Check our hearts and make them sensitive to you. Make them desire you above everything and everyone. Make us want to walk with our God. Lord, challenge us with this passage. We all need it. Do your work in our hearts today as we study through this uh, man's, Daniel's life and his the works that he's recorded for us here. May it be a significant time in our lives to evaluate and to make things right between us and you, we pray. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. If there's anybody among us today that doesn't know Jesus, draw their heart to you, Lord, Savior. You're the only one who can save them. Show them again that you are the answer to sin because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And through you, we come to the Father. Lord, do your work in our midst, we pray. We give you the glory for that, and we're so glad that you have saved us. Praise you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.